Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I love America. And in all these years that I've been here, I've always looked forward to the 4th of July service. I have a, I just have a soft spot in my heart for this celebration. I think the first service I ever planned for as a leader, I was 15 years old when I was asked to be worship pastor of my church. And I think one of the first services I prepared for was 4th of July and I've loved preparing for it ever since. I don't know how many 4th of July messages I've brought here, probably 35, 36. And as I say, I always look forward to it, but this year has been especially hard for me to settle on the one to bring to you. In fact, I think the one I'm about to share with you is either the third or the fourth message. Because while I love celebrating America, my heart is heavy. The nation that I love is in deep trouble. There's trouble that all of us see. And yet what I'm concerned about is the trouble we can see is just the tip of the iceberg. The part, I guess, that's driven me to this particular message is when I listen to people talk in America about what the troubles are in our nation, it's that Americans feel pain, but they don't know what's wrong. That's very dangerous. And maybe the worst part is when I listen to people talk about the potential solutions, what they think will cure the problems will actually make the problems worse. So if you take all of those things into account, you can understand why I think it is fitting and appropriate for us to ask the question today, at least in the essence of being academically honest, is there any hope for America? That's a fair question. I mean, because when we look at the Bible, there were times when Israel or Judah went past the place of no hope, where God said, it won't even do any good to pray anymore. The train has left the station. So I think it's fitting for us when we look at just the depravity and the deepness of the darkness of our nation to ask the question, is there any hope? Well, I've got good news for you today. There is hope. But here's what we must embrace. The hope has got to start with honesty. The hope has got to start with truth. And we have to ask ourselves the question, as Christ followers, can we handle the truth? (laughs) Several weeks ago, I had an early morning workout. You know, it's really hot right now. And, and I got to be honest with you. I don't perspire. I sweat <laughs> a lot. And so while I was outside working in the heat, you know, I, I, was, I was smelly and, and sweaty. And what little hair I have just kind of like all gets slicked back. So I was in that kind of shape. And I was planning just to go home and get a shower and then go on to the rest of the day. But before I could get home, Mary Allen's called me and said, would you pick, I can't remember what it was. I think it was food or something. Would you pick something up for the grandkids? Well, I thought surely nobody will know me this early in the morning. (laughs) But Wichita is a big city and uh, Wichita is a small city and we're a big church. So I have a pretty good chance of running in New Springs everywhere I go if you add to that television audience. In fact, I figured out if I see you at the Dillon's Andover, it's probably about a one in three chance I'm your pastor. So I just feel like sometimes we're having a church meeting when I go to Dillon's in Andover. 
So anyway, I walked into this place and I'm like hoping that nobody recognizes me. And I walk in and the guy behind the counter, like he just starts to hyperventilate. And he said, it's you, it's you. And I thought, well, I'm just glad somebody's that excited to meet the pastor of New Spring Church. And then he kind of backed up for a moment and he said, are you Jack Nicholson? And I thought as if I didn't have enough trouble today. <laughs> but of all the lines that Jack Nicholson ever said in the movies, he's known for one line more than any other. It's actually become part of the American lexicon from 1992, A Few Good Men. You can't handle the truth, right? Well, can we? I, I'm not talking about the world outside. I'm talking about Christians. I mean, because when I look at Christians in America today, a lot of them are folding like cheap suits. I mean, the word of God says one thing and they're just kind of like flipping God off with both fingers and saying, hey, the world says we should do this. I guess God has evolved. I mean, I understand that when that happens among people that don't believe in God. But when that happens in the church, I, see, here's the thing. It's just critical for us to be able to handle the truth. So if we're looking at America today, what is the truth? And again, you don't come to hear me tell you what the truth is. I mean, obviously, I, I preach the Bible, but you don't, you don't expect it to come from me personally. You know that there's got to be a greater source. If we're going to hear the truth, it's not going to be from media. It's not going to be from entertainment. It's not going to be from the news media. If we're going to hear the truth today, we need to come back to the word of God and hear what God has to say. So if God was diagnosing the problem of America today, where would we go to find it? I remember many, many years ago, in fact, this is at the old location, so I know it's gotta be over 23 years ago. But it was on Sunday night, we were having Sunday night services then, and I was preaching through the book of Romans. And I was preaching through chapter one, and never will forget this memory is etched in my mind. One of the dearest friends I ever had in my life, he's in heaven now, was Judge Paul Clark. Paul was just an interesting guy because not only was he the longest serving judge in Sedgwick County, he was the most, I think, the most cherished or beloved judge I ever knew. In fact, whenever, election, whenever elections happened, there would be like a blue surge or a red surge. It didn't matter. Paul was probably going to get more votes than anybody else in Sedgwick County because he was such a person of integrity. He was loved by trial lawyers. That'll tell you something. He just had such a godliness about him. And I think he had seen more of the world than anybody I ever knew. Before he was a judge in Sedgwick County, he was an attorney for the state. And he had tried many high-level uh, cases in, in Kansas. And he would love to, his day off was Thursday, my day off was Thursday. So he would love to come get me and get, him, get me in his pickup and drive me out to some little town in Kansas so that he could educate this transplanted Texan about Kansas. You know, it's always, always wanting to introduce me to some judge or some lawyer somewhere. We'd have lunch together, and he would tell me about the cases that he had been involved with. In fact, he was the first person to tell me about BTK long before the resolution to that ever came about. But I got through preaching on Romans chapter 1, and I can see this as though it were yesterday. Paul almost bolted out of his seat at the end of the service, and this brilliant lawyer judge who had seen way more of life than the rest of us have seen reached out and grabbed me by the hand and he said, Pastor, I finally understand the world. So what did that brilliant mind, that brilliant man, what did he respond to in such a way to say, I finally understand the world? 
In Romans chapter one, the Bible begins to talk about how a culture goes bad. And it talks about where it starts and where it winds up. And so for just a few moments, with your permission, I would like to share with you what is wrong with America. The Bible says in verse 18 of Romans chapter one, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who, look at these next three words, suppress the truth. You show me any culture that's in free fall, such as we are, and I'll show you a culture that at some point begin to suppress the truth. And you feel that today. Because some of you are afraid to speak the truth where you work, because if you spoke the truth or posted the truth, you might lose your job. There's a demonic quality to that. It is not just that the culture has gone sideways. There's a demonic culture, there's a demonic quotient to suppression, suppression of the truth. In fact, the Bible is going to give us a whole litany of junk that a bad culture gets into, but it all starts with the suppression of the truth. Notice this, the Bible says sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth. What is it that qualifies a person to be sinfully wicked? Suppression of the truth. Truth is light, and to shut out the light is darkness. So I just want to spend a little time here because we can start talking about the individual issues that America has. We can talk about the sexual immorality. We can talk about the perversion. We can talk about the racism. We can talk about all these issues that America faces, but it all starts with the suppression of the truth. Now let's read on. The Bible says they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. I have friends who say they don't believe in God. I have friends who tell me if God ever proved himself to me, then I might believe in God. But for anyone who has that idea, I just want you to know how God feels about it. God feels like he's made it clear to you. One more time, I want to read that. God has made it obvious. Let's read on. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. And so one more time, I want you to see what God says about this. This is just how he feels. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. In other words, what God is saying is we have what we call nature. We have science. We have an understanding. We have a better understanding than any generation before us. Knowledge has exploded in our, and we, we know so much about science, and here's what God is saying. I mean, you got to realize that when Paul wrote this in the first century, they had no idea what DNA was. Man, you and I have been taught all about that in biology, even in high school, and definitely in college. We understand, about, we, we understand about that long molecule that has the ability to replicate everything in our bodies. Anyone who looks at just the brilliance of something we can barely even wrap our minds around and say that that happened by cosmic ro random rolls of the cosmic dice... I mean, the way God looks at it, if a person believes that you know, all that happened by accident, they shouldn't go outside without a helmet on. In any event, God says without excuse. No one's going to be able to stand before God and say, God, listen, I just, I went to the university and, and you know, I, and, and I, I understand I was taught, I went to public schools in Texas. I was taught from the second grade on that we're product of Darwinian evolution. I was taught that, but no one's going to be able to stand before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I just, I couldn't grasp it because I was taught this. And God is like, no, nope. you saw the earth, the sky, the sun, you learned enough. In fact, you in the 21st century knew more than any other generation. You're without excuse. As a result, 
So what have we had so far? Suppression of truth. And now we've got the unwillingness to believe the obvious. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming themselves, I think I taught you this the other day. Claiming themselves to be wise. The Greek word is sophos, S-O-P-H-O-S. We get our word sophisticated from it. Claiming, claiming to be sophos, they became moros. <laughs> Don't get in front of me. We got a word moron from that. So this is just God's take on things. God's like, they, they claimed to be sophisticated, but they became morons. Why? Because they, the truth was suppressed. They rejected the obvious. Now here's the chilling part. So God abandoned them. God just closed up shop. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. That is why, one more time, God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. And then, let's just look at the list that is now starting. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. And I'll look at verse 31 and see if this isn't a, an indicator of our times. They refuse to understand. Do you ever like talk to someone and you're very reasonable? You try to come to an accommodation, you try to meet them halfway, but they refuse to understand. Well, that's an indication, indication, indicator of godlessness. They break their promises, they're heartless, they have no mercy. And that's where we are. You don't need me to tell you that. And as much as I love celebrating, there is much to celebrate and even more to be thankful for as Americans. But I do think it's a fair question for us to ask ourselves today, can anything save America? There is. But for all of us who are Christ followers, I'm going to talk to you for just a moment. We have to get our eyes off those who don't believe in God. We have to, we have to quit holding them accountable to solve the problem. See, here's the thing. If I ask you the question, is there any hope for America? There's bad news and there's good news. The bad news is the problem lies with us who are Christ followers. But the good news is the solution lies with us who are God followers. But we're going to have to get very serious. This isn't something that we can just give lip service to. I don't think we have a lot of time. And for all of us who are parents, grandparents, or you're in a relationship and you're looking down the road to the future, you and I need to get really dead level serious about this thing. Today, I want to bring you a very, very short message on five things that could rescue America and what we can do to make it happen. Now, listen, I want you to know something. Please hear my heart on this. When I say five things that could rescue America, it's not that I sit down with a piece of paper and a list and just said, oh, let's see what I can come up with. And I came up with five. No, no, no. Mary Alice and I read through the Bible every year. And because we read through the Bible every year, I'm always in the prophets, the major and minor prophets. And so much of the major and minor prophets is God telling the people of Israel, if you don't stop what you're doing, you're gonna go into captivity. And they do go into captivity. And then some of the prophets came along after the captivity and God was saying to them, this is what you need to tell the people that they wanna get back. So what I've done is I've looked at what the Bible says 
in the major and minor prophets about what a nation can do to keep judgment from coming and what a nation can do if judgment comes, how to get back. And I've seen five things very clearly. So in the next few moments, I wanna give those to you. Here's number one. Five things that could rescue America and what you could do about it. Number one, young people who are hungry for God's wisdom. I know that most of our young people in other environments today, but for just a few moments, I wanna to talk to all of you, especially those of you who are under 25, because I really do believe that there's a solution to America, to the problems that America faces. It's gonna come down to young people who are hungry for God's wisdom. Now, young people and wisdom, according to the Bible, don't always go together. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15, the Bible says a youngster's heart is filled with foolishness. And there are reasons for that. First off, there are biological reasons. The prefrontal cortex of your brain is not fully formed until you're in your mid-20s. And that prefrontal cortex, it has to do with things like judgment and impulse control and the ability to think three, four, five, six steps ahead. So if you're under 25, you got biology conspiring against you. And I mean, a lot of us today who are over 25, we can look back and say, wow, I wish I'd known when I was 25 uh, what I know today. But a lot of that just comes down to your brain wasn't completely there yet. Mine's still not there. It's trying to get there. And then you have another reason why young people and wisdom don't always go together. There's a lack of experience. Life just gives you experience, and experience gives you things to drum when you're trying to make a decision. And then on top of that, you have the culture conspiring against you. If you're under 25, because the culture says to you, this is the time of your life to be crazy. Go to college, to just stay drunk, stay high, sleep around. This is your time to be crazy. You're going to have to be serious long enough. So if you're under 25, I really do believe a lot of the solution to America's situation could lie with you, but you've got some challenges. And yet, when I open the pages of the Bible, what I discover is that the heroes that God used to rescue his people when they were in trouble is often a young person, especially when older generations failed, when the priesthood had become an embarrassment, when Eli had been lax, when his sons who had been in the priesthood because they were in his family, his sons began to seduce women who came to bring offerings to the temple. Who was it that God used to rescue his people? It was Samuel, a boy. When Israel suffered under the paranoid narcissism of King Saul, who saved God's people? It was David, a teenager. When the anti-Semite forerunner of Hitler, Haman, got a law passed to kill all the Jews, who did Jehovah tap to save his people? It was Esther, a young woman. And that's why at New Spring, we focus on kids. Every week, pretty much, there are pastors and leadership teams who come to look at New Spring, and I always like to show them the building first, you know, first of all, and as they walk through our campus, they look at all the environments. It's very clear. Kids are job one for us here at New Spring. There's a reason for that. But parents, I just want you to hear my heart for a moment. As much as we try to do our very best to reach your kids and grandkids, you understand we only have them one or two hours a week. And you have them all week. And here's the deal. We won't have Esther's by accident. We won't have David's and Daniel's by accident. We won't have Samuel's by accident. We're going to have to have some parents who understand where we are in the culture and train their kids to go counterculture.
We, we, need to, we need some parents who will explain to their boys that real serious development in life isn't playing video games 12 hours a day and staying up till three o'clock in the morning. We've got to have some parents who are grown-ups. We have to have some parents of daughters who say to their daughters, life is not about staying on social media and you know, having the clothes that make you uh, the most important person in, in, your, in your clique. I mean, we've got to have some parents who stand up and teach their kids to be Esthers and Daniels and Davids and Samuels, and that will not happen by accident. God did not call you to be your kid's best friend. He called you to be their mom. He called you to be their dad. Hey, you want to be their best friend when they're 30. I just, my heart burns with this today because I just know if God is going to turn America around, it's probably begun, it, it may be your daughter. She may be the one that the Holy Spirit taps and says, you're gonna lead your people like Esther did. It may be your son that God says, that's my Samuel. And by the way, you can say, Mark, I'm under 25 and I'm still stuck on that prefrontal cortex of my brain is not formed yet. Don't worry about that. Because here's what the Bible says in James 1.5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. Number two, Christians who make commitments and keep them. When I look at the Old Testament and I look at why God brought judgment, he often brought judgment because people didn't keep their vows. Oftentimes, God would talk about divorce, and the moment I say that, I understand that many of us, you know, many here today perhaps have been through divorce, and it wasn't of your making. You didn't have any choice in the matter, so I understand that, and I, there are legitimate reasons for divorce, but wouldn't you all agree with me that we've gotten a little lax on that in America today? Because that's one of the problems that God really has with a culture that is ripe for judgment. In the book of Psalm chapter 76 and verse 11, God says, make vows to the Lord your God and keep them. People of honor make vows. Substantial people. Vows say, I'm serious. I don't do too many weddings anymore. I do one this week. But when I stand before that couple, I'm going to ask them to make their vows to each other, but also to God. I've actually, I didn't say this in the other three services, but... I've actually heard preachers say, you should never say, I will never commit adultery. Isn't that what we say when we say our marriage vows? Yeah, I think we should. I mean, substantial people, people of worth, people that are people of substance, people of respect make vows. Vows say, I'm serious, I got skin in the game. But, but I know they're out of style. I mean, today, especially when it comes to relationships, I'm talking about man-woman relationships, there are a lot of people that have sort of have the idea, I'm just kind of keeping it loose in case I want to check out. I love you today. I don't know if I love you tomorrow. Could feel different. We need to understand this about marriage. It's what used to make sex great. People didn't get into bed until everybody was on record as being serious. And now we have all kinds of rules but we're messed up in ways that no counselor can fix. Can we handle the truth? Here's the truth. 
the word of God, give honor to marriage, and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. And I need to move on to the third thing, but always remember this, where there are broken dreams, turn around and look for broken promises. Number three, before I give you this one, if you were to back me into a corner, and if you were to say, Mark, what do you think is the most serious problem in America? I would say this, it's our churches and it's our pastors. We have churches that are squeamish about telling the truth. We have the weakest generation of pastors since some of the priests of the Old Testament. And more than that, we have churches that are off message and off mission. The, the nasty little secret about American churches is, can, I'll just whisper this, it's like churches have become fast food franchises. They have their menu of programs. They cater to the people that pay the money because after all, people shop for a church. And so we have to make sure that we give people what the customer wants. Well, you probably picked up that's not what New Spring is about and it's what it will, God willing and as long as I have breath, it'll never be about that because the church is not a franchise and it's not to play to the customers. A church is all about what Jesus said the church was about and that's it. You don't have to look very far. Matthew 28, right before he left town, Jesus said, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. God did not leave us here to be a franchise. God left us here to help people who are spiritually unresolved come into his family and to show them how to live. What's happening in churches in America today is a mess. I know because I function in that world. I travel, I speak all the time. I listen. One of the problems that we have in America is so many churches are about politics on one side or the other. We have the social gospel on the left and we have the fortress mentality on the right. I mean, here's the thing. I talked a few moments ago about us understanding where we are and what we need to do to turn America around. Here is the problem, and I don't think we have this in large part at New Spring, but we probably have some of it here. See, there are people perhaps even here today or watching on television. Even though you're a Christ follower, you would be okay if your political philosophy got in power. It would, we wouldn't even have to have a spiritual revival in America because when you think, when you talk, when you post, it's pretty much about politics which tells me we don't even understand the underlying problems in America. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do believe in political involvement. I mean, here's the thing. I don't believe in politics. I believe in stewardship. And I'm a citizen, so I need to have stewardship of that, of that citizenship that I have. But somehow along the line, churches on the left and on the right have gotten off in politics and we've forgotten that we were left in, we were left in business to get people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him. I want to, I'm, I'm not speaking of New Spring, but I know a lot of churches outside of New Spring watch us here. If we don't start winning people to Christ, what's going to happen? Even if your political tribe gets in power, there won't be any Christians, there won't be any believers to, to, to reach. 
every day, and I don't pay much attention to this, but I get pressure to get new spring off message. And it's gentle and sweet pressure, but typically what happens is someone will care very much about a particular ministry. They'll care pretty much about, and it's like New Spring is the greatest church in the world if everybody would just get behind my ministry. Guys, I'm gonna be real clear with you. It's everything we can do to do what we're doing here at New Spring. And, and here's the thing. If we get off message, there, there may be a dozen good things that we can get into, but if we don't do what God left us here to do, then we're going we're, we're, we're gonna to lose the ability to have an impact. And here's the beautiful thing about this. There's 7,000 of us, I guess, this weekend. When we leave these campuses, we get into all kinds of ministry. We do all kinds of things. We do all kinds of mission involvement. And that's the beauty of the church. But while we come together, it is critical that we do exactly what Jesus left us to do. If America's going to be rescued, churches have got to get on message and on mission. The fourth thing is very similar to that. The fourth thing that could rescue America is Christians who know why we're left here in the world. One more time, I just want to go to, to what Jesus said. I'm reading from the message in Matthew 5. Let me tell you why you are here. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, why are we here and not in heaven? Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. Do you realize the reason why we've been left here is to be a preservative? You know, I, I, I know how Christ followers feel. I mean, I feel this way sometimes when I watch the news. I think, well, we're in the minority. And we are. God followers have always been in minority. Hey, minority plus God makes a majority. But when you study history, and I've, I've spent this whole message talking about how Nations and peoples can avoid the judgment of God, and when they do avoid the judgment, when they when they go into judgment, how to come back. If you study the Bible, here's what you'll find. Abraham prayed and he interceded, and as wicked as Sodom was, if there had been ten righteous, God would have spared it. Abraham was a minority of one, but he had a preservative impact. Noah, there were just eight who were righteous. But because of his faithfulness, the door was kept open for, well, he preached 120 years. And the door was left open eight days after the ark was completed. See, that's what God left us here to be. See, if we're not who we're supposed to be, we will not have the preservative effect on our nation that God intends us to have. So if America's going to be turned around, we've got to be Christians who know why we're here. Well, one more time, I've kind of mined the Bible to come up with what we could do that would cause America to be rescued. The fifth thing, I'm just going to take verbatim. When Solomon was dedicating the temple, God revealed to him by his Holy Spirit that in the future, Israel would get into trouble and experience judgment. And then God said to him, here's what needs to happen if you get into a bad place. That leads me to number five. If America's gonna be rescued, you and I have to embrace 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Where God says, 
if my people, not those other people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Hey, they may have pride month out there. We need to have humility year and year. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I mean, how many times do we watch the news and say, look at those wicked ways? And God's like, Mark, if America's going to be saved, you got to turn from your wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. Isn't it a beautiful thing to be one of God's people? How do you get to be one of God's people? You join a particular church? Try to live a better life? It doesn't work, does it? Not in your own strength. Is it trying to find the right religion? See, to be one of God's people, you have to be perfect with no sin. That would thin us out pretty fast, starting with me. But God wanted us to be his people. So he made a way. And the way went like this. The son of God would become human and live the life that we can't live. Never do anything wrong, do everything right. And of course, he would, as he, he would have deserved to go to heaven, of course. But then he did the most amazing thing. The only one to ever live a perfect life was willing to take the punishment for the entire world. He took that perfect life and he laid it on a cross. And they nailed him there and he hung there for six hours, but it wasn't just the physical torture that he encountered. The book of Isaiah says that God made his soul an offering for sin and pressed into the compendium of those six hours he took hell for us. And based on the fact that someone has lived a perfect life for us and died to pay for our sins, God has an offer on the table. And you and I can come just like we are with all of our flaws and failures and sins and our weaknesses. We can go into the court of heaven and declare spiritual bankruptcy and say, I can't save myself, but I want Jesus. I want Jesus to be my savior. I trust him because he lived that life I can't live and he paid for me on the cross. And I believe he arose from the grave and the Bible says that when I do that, 
then I can have the record of Jesus applied to my life. That, that, if you've ever wondered what salvation is, you've heard people talk about it, that, that's what we're talking about. That's the Bible. So if you want to become one of God's people, you need to ask. I'm, I'm always quoting Romans 10, 13 that says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But this morning, Mary Alice and I were reading through the book of Acts. <clears throat> and I saw something beautiful. Paul was explaining, remember he was Saul, he was a persecutor of Christians and God met him on the, Christ met him on the Damascus road. Well, in those first hours after Jesus met him on the Damascus road, God spoke through Ananias to the man who became Paul. And God said, have your sins washed away by calling on the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And you, can, you and I can do that. We can call. And so if you're here today and you say, Mark, I want to be one of God's people. I, 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 want, to, I want to know that I'm God's son, God's daughter forever. I want to, want to know that I die, when I die, I go into heaven and, and I want to be part of the solution while I'm here. Well, then I'm going to do something. I'm going to lead you in calling on the Lord. You don't have to pray out loud. I'm going to pray these uh, lines and segments and I'll pause and that way you can decide if you want to say these things to Ready? Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. I am broken past repair. But I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus took my place. I believe he died for me. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer and thank you for making me one of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you might say, Mark, there's still a lot I don't understand and I'm right there with you. I'm still understanding God's incredible gift to me. But if you just pray with me, we wanna take your first step with you. So I have a gift for you. This is whether you're watching online or watching on television or here in the, in, in the auditoriums with us. There's a New Spring Bible, just like the one you saw me preach from. There's a book I wrote called My New Walk with God, where I answer a lot of the questions that you might have. I think there's a journal in here and some even some coupons and no strings attached. We just want to give this to you. So if you're watching online or on television or here in the house, here's how to start getting this. Just take a smartphone out if you have one and text the word prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D. That's what you just did. Text prayed to 97,000. If you're watching online or on television, just follow the steps after that and we'll mail it to you. If you're in the house, you don't have to wait. You can take it with you today. Just go out to any of the info centers and say, I pray with Mark and they'll give you that and you can take it and start your journey with us. Thank you for being here. God willing, we'll see you next weekend. Happy 4th of July. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.